Turn with me to the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, please. Simply the title of the message tonight is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1, please, beginning to read at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God and the testimony and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. We know the Lord will bless that reading of his own divine and inspired word in public this evening. But let's just by in a word of prayer. Our eternal Father, again, we thank you for the songs of Zion. We thank you for the songs that we have been singing corporately to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, and to bless his holy name. We thank you for the songs that Billy has sang to remind us that Jesus is the answer for the world today, for the man and for the woman today, and that they may be too late should Jesus come and should they procrastinate to make him their Lord and personal Savior. We pray this evening that you would now Anoint my lips and my heart and my mind with fresh oil. Oil, Father, that comes straight from the Spirit of God. May he move among us this evening, convicting hearts and convincing hearts. And we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that if there's one or some here who are far away from him, Lord, we pray that you would draw them as he is revealed anew and afresh this evening through thy word and thy spirit. Glorify his name in all that is done and said this evening. We ask it for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. The revelation of Jesus Christ is in verse 1. What an opening title. 
What an opening title to start off this book, but what an opening title to start off the last book of your Bible. When things are coming to a close, as it were, in our canonized scripture, what a wonderful title. The revelation, the first line, the revelation, the first words, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the first verse in the first chapter. And while everything is coming, as it were, to a close, now Revelation seems to be opening everything up again, revealing Christ through time and history, throughout the lands and the nations and the people. Take note that it isn't always like this through the New Testament. For example, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated onto the gospel of God. That's marvelous. But notice, Paul is the servant of Jesus Christ, called by him to be an apostle. And then again, if we look at 1 Corinthians 1 and 1, and even 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1, both say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And what we're looking at here is Paul He's a man and he's saying, look, I'm just a man, but this man is the God-man. That all things rest in him. And now we're told that the revelation of Jesus Christ just explodes onto our scene in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. Even James, our Lord's half-brother, James chapter 1 and verse 1 says... James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It isn't the revelation of Paul or the revelation of James. Notice here, even 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude chapter 1 and verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Not one of them could say, here I am, the revelation of Jude, the revelation of Peter, the revelation of Paul. The revelation of James, not one of them could say it. But John, he writes, the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, in him is eternal matters. In him is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him is the word of God. In that man that we look at and in him whom we see, he has everything we need in him, and to be revealed unto you and I, from Christ to be revealed in the scriptures, we find it's like a, it's like rivers to swim in, it's like oceans we cannot cross, waters we cannot fathom. He's inexhaustible, and Christ keeps revealing. There's more and more and more in Christ. The more we read, the more we learn. The closer we get, the more we experience all found in the person of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, he is the Alpha and the Omega in our reading in verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord. Alpha and Omega are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. So he's, uh, if you want the A to Z in the English, he's the Alpha and Omega. In other words, he's every word in between that you can express or think of him. He is the fullness of God. He is 
the eternal word that was with God and is God. And so he's saying here that it is resting within me. Everything we need is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we desire is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our eternal welfare, our soul salvation, our redemption, our forgiveness of sins. is Everything is in the person of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, in the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 1, we have the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ as to his flesh. Matthew was a tax collector, used to writing down names, and it seems like the Lord has taken the use of this, that thing that he learned. And you can learn things in your job, wherever you are, and God can use it for his glory. And he writes down the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes right past David onto Abraham. That Christ is off the seed of Abraham, Matthew 1 and 1. And then whenever we get to Luke, Luke was a doctor used to writing meticulous things down. He writes Luke chapter 3. He writes the lineage of Christ down. But he goes further than David, further than Abraham. And he goes right back to Adam. He says, you're of Adam's race. You're of Adam's nature. You're from Adam's descent, like we all are. Like you and I, like we are. And then when we get to Matthew, he says, yes, but now it is off the chosen line of Abraham. And then by the time we get to Mark's gospel, Mark has the Lord Jesus bursting on the scene, 30 years of age, right at the River Jordan, about to be baptized. Jesus just appears. No lineage, nothing else about him, but there he is, explodes onto the scene. Now, that's the history of humanity. But John, who's writing under the influence of the Spirit, for he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And John, who is under the influence of the Spirit here, he writes in his, his gospel, he doesn't take us to David or even to Abraham or to Adam. He takes us right into glory. He goes right into eternity. And John starts to write, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Here John just takes us right past all of humanity. Then he brings us in a flash right into Bethlehem to humanity. Verse 14 of John 1, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here we find John again writing under the influence of the Spirit, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He just explodes onto the scene. We think the Bible's coming to a close. It's the last book of our Holy Writ of the canonized 66 books. It must be coming to a close. It shows us far more, far more than we could ever imagine or hope to hear. And when the Lord anoints our eyes to see and our ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. It says 
in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now take note of this. When he's called the Alpha and the Omega, he's the Word, he's the beginning, he's the ending. He's also, we could put it in the Hebrew, he's everything in the Hebrew alphabet too. The Aleph and the Toph. The Hebrew has 22 letters. When you read Psalm 119, you'll find that there's little Aleph, Beth, and so on, right down, right through to Tav. The 22nd stanza, I think there's about, if my memory serves me right, eight verses of the 22 stanzas in Psalm 119. And each one of them is the beginning letter of the alphabet of the Hebrew. And the Aleph was a, there was a pictograph in the Hebrew, like the Egyptian had hieroglyphics, where they'd carve shapes and they could write these shapes. And you, those who could read hieroglyphics, they could understand what was being said. Well, the Hebrew had pictographs way before even the letters. And the Aleph, it was a little head of a bull or an ox. And it meant strength power right at the beginning and when it's taken into Hebrew it means father the strength and the power in other words the Aleph is the beginning showing the man the strength and the power of our father in fact when you do Aleph and Beth the second letter of the Hebrews is just by the way Beth means house so Aleph Bet is where we get Alpha Bet, and it also means the Father's house, or the Father is the strength of this house. I'm glad that this is the Father's house, and He is the strength of this house. But when you get from that little uh, bull or ox head for Aleph, when you write through the whole Hebrew, right the whole way through to the very last stanza in Psalm 119. And there you'll find a little, a little word, Tav. Do you know what the, the, the little pictograph is for Tav? It's a cross. The pictograph from years before is a cross. In other words, here is the Father. And right through at the end, where does everything end up? At the cross. Christ is not only the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. He's not only the first and the last. He's not only so much more than this, the Aleph and the Tav. Here he comes from the Father, the Word, through the Hebrew pictograph, onward, the Tav at the very end on the cross. He suffered and died for you and I. Brothers and sisters, the revelation of Jesus Christ is so greater than most would ever dare to think or to imagine. Sure, he's just a man. Did he even exist in history past? And we know he did, even from secular writing. But this man, the Christ, the anointed of God, the Son, this man is like no other man. This man is the God-man. This man came from heaven, the bread of life. He came down from heaven to give life unto the world. Came down from heaven to give life unto you and unto me. There are some little points I want to bring in our reading this evening. 
First of all, the revelation of Jesus Christ, as we have read, is in chapter 1 and verse 1. Then there is the testimony of Jesus Christ, is in verse 2. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Here John is given not only what he sees in Revelation, but John even says if, the, if all the things that Jesus had did, had done, were written in the books, the world couldn't contain the books that they were written in. Why does God not give us any more? Why does God not say, here it all is, the whole bale of hay, now go and eat it, and sure you'll have plenty forever. I'll tell you why, because you and I couldn't take it. And you and I couldn't believe it. And God has to bring us step by step, day by day, in a walk of faith with him. Did he not say, I have yet many things to show you, but you cannot bear them now? And yet John was there. When did John find out many more things? In the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. In the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. So take note here. There's the testimony of Jesus. Then in verse 5, there's the faithfulness of Jesus. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. He, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And then after that... We have the work of Jesus Christ. Let your eye read on. And the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Here is the work of Jesus Christ. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. What is the work there? The cross. He came from glory. He became a man. And there he went to Calvary. And he hung and he bled and died, bearing your sin and my sin in his own body on the tree. The finished work of Christ is that he loved us and he washed us. He washed us in his own precious blood. And he's not only washed us, but he has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. You know, in the day of Pentecost, when there were cloven tongues like as of fire, came and sat on the heads of all that were there, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What I believe those cloven tongues were, I believe they were the twofold ministry that we read here, the king and the priest. King and priest. He is a king and a priest. The king and a priest. And the Spirit was moving, making kings and priests after the blood was shed by our Lord. Jesus Christ. Do you know what I'm looking at tonight? Yes, with all our failures. Yes, with all our faults. And no one is perfect. Not this man or any man. Know what I'm looking at who are saved by grace and redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. I'm looking at a room full of men and women who are being made kings and priests unto God because they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You're washed in the blood. You're cleansed in the blood. Purged by the blood. There's nothing like the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this. He loved you. He loved you. I don't understand why he loved me. I have no idea why he loved me. But all I know, he loved me because he chose to love me. I don't know why he keeps loving me, but I know he does. And if he didn't, I wouldn't be here. 
and neither would you. We're here through the grace and the mercy, the blood and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take note here. Next there is in verse 7, the coming, the coming of Jesus Christ. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. There we have the coming of Jesus Christ. And then again, as we have already spoken, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord. Notice which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Notice that. He is the Almighty. He's not a lower, he's not a lowercase God. He's not a semi-God or a demi-God, nor from a pluralistic of gods. He is not some sort of weaker, lesser God. Listen, there only is one Almighty. And if one Almighty says he's Almighty, and there's another Almighty says he's Almighty, then one Almighty on Almighty's himself. He says, I am the Almighty. Islam want to say, God has no son. Jesus never said he was God. Here he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, he says. And then he says, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. Jesus is the Almighty God in flesh. Let us not lose sight of this thinking he is a mere mortal, a mere prophet, or a mere man who does good. Jesus is eternal. And Jesus is human. And let us remember these things. So look at the words at the opening line. The revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to take note here of the word revelation. We're going to hang around this word for a few moments. The word revelation is the word apocalypsis. It's where we get the word apocalypse from. Apocalypse. So the book of Revelation is also known as the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. But we always think that apocalypse is always doom and gloom and damnation and nuclear bombs and buildings falling and all sorts of things happening. And that, that is probably part of it. But that's not really what it means here in its essence. The word apocalypsis, it gives the idea of an uncovering. It means to unveil, to make manifest an appearing. Let me say it again. An uncovering, an unveiling, a manifestation, or an appearance. So the word apocalypsis comes from the two words, apo. A-P-O, Apo. So, for example, if you came to the door tonight, and you're coming to church tonight, you say, I'm going to go to that tent tonight up in, uh, up, up in Hunter's Hill, and you come to the doors, you sort of came, but if you turned at the doors and walked away to the car park and get into your car, that's the word Apo, from the edge off to go away. To go away from. That's the idea of Apo. And the second word is collupsis. K 
apocalypsis, and it means to hide or to cover. So when we get apocalypsis, it means that there is an unveiling, like a cloth, like a veil, as it were a blanket, is hiding something, and someone grabs it and takes it away. And the book of Revelation, the Spirit is coming to the eyes of John. And he says, John, I want you to write this down, that the Spirit will speak to you through time and to me. It's as though the unveiling of our eyes, the unveiling of the blindness of the masses, who see through the Spirit and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. I want to show you more about Jesus. And he takes it away. Brothers and sisters, the book of Revelation is a closed book to many preachers. They're afraid to touch it. But here at the beginning it says, this is about Jesus. Unveil it and lift it off. Will you turn with me please to Isaiah chapter 25 if you would. Isaiah chapter 25 please. Just a few verses if you will. Verse 7. I want you to see, because Jesus came to the Jews and he says, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. Notice, in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. What scriptures? What was he talking about? He wasn't talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and Acts and Romans and so on. You know what he was talking about? The Old Testament. I want to unveil and reveal Jesus here for a few moments. Isaiah 25, please, in verse 7. And he will destroy in this mountain. Notice, the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. This is the coming Messiah. Now, has he done this yet in the sense of his coming? The answer is no. The answer is no. But he will swallow up death in victory. Has he done that yet? Yes, for in 1 Corinthians 15 and 55, Paul proclaims these things. That death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sin? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Christ is the one who the Spirit is speaking to Isaiah about. Notice here again in verse 8. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. This is yet to happen in the coming of the Lord and his kingdom come. This is to happen because in Revelation 21, in verse 6 tells us, and he shall wipe away all our tears. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then again when we read on, it says, and the rebuke of the people he shall take away from all the earth, for it is the Lord has spoken it. Notice here, if you will, it's from beginning to ending, it's full of the revelation of Jesus Christ with the eyes of the Spirit. Even before he's born. This is 700 to 750 years before Christ came, before he became a little child, before he came and he bled and died in Calvary for us. Here we're told that he would rise again and here he's going to defeat death, which he has done. And then he's going to rise again and he's going to ascend into glory and come back again and he's going to wipe away all of our tears. 
People read these things and don't realize exactly what the Spirit is saying unto them. They look for Jesus and they cannot find him in many places and throughout many things. Look at verse 9, if you will. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. The word God there is Elohim. This is our creator God. The one who made the heavens and the earth. This is our God. We have waited for him. He will save us. Who will save you? Elohim. Our God. So if Jesus is in God, then we're not saved. He will save us. Elohim will save us. Elohim is singular yet plural. And they're saying he will come and he will save us. We have waited for him. He will save us. This is the Lord. See the word Lord there? It's the word Yahweh. Or some people like to pronounce it Yehovah. So Elohim comes as Yahweh or Jehovah. And he will save us. That tells me then, Jesus is Elohim. From Elohim is Jehovah or Yahweh is Jesus. This is what the scriptures are telling us. For he saved us. And then look what it says. We will be glad and rejoice in his, notice, his salvation. The word salvation there is the word Yeshua. Yeshua. Do you know the word Yeshua? Are you used to that word? That word is, uh, for example, the Lord Jesus Christ is called Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus the Messiah. Yeshua, salvation. Salvation here, you see, it's abstract. In other words, it has no material existence or form. Abstract art, I'll take you to an art gallery and you'll see abstract art and you think that somebody threw something on the floor, threw a lot of paint on it and about 14 children rolled about on it and they hung it up on the wall and someone comes and looks at it and goes, oh, I see their mood there, but there's red here and so much red. And oh, I see another one black, very dark and they were thinking of this. And really it was just a whole mishmash. They're trying to make a body of work. They're trying to understand something which has no material existence or form. And their mind and their mentality is trying to work out exactly what that is. Such is salvation. We don't know salvation. We can hardly speak of it without doing it justice. We can tell about it. We can speak about it. But it's better felt than told. It has to be experienced. Personally, by coming to Christ, it is better felt than tell, brother and sister. And so salvation, Yeshua here, salvation takes on a bodily existence, shape and form. For example, when the, the Israelites went through the Red Sea, Moses raises his staff and the sea splits open because of the wind and they walk over dry shot. And we know the story. And the only evidence of a deliverance and salvation was the walls of water and they went through to the other side. And now they write about it and they tell us about it, but we hadn't experienced it. But salvation takes a body, a form and a shape. Salvation that was abstract comes in the person of the Son of God into Bethlehem, born of a virgin. And there, the Lord Jesus Christ 
is personified, the personification of salvation. Christ is the personification of salvation, and his name is Yeshua, the Hebrew name for Jesus. He's Christ in all the scriptures. He's Christ throughout. Notice here, for time is flying. When you go with me, please, let's just read, first of all, verse 7 before we go further again. I'm looking at this revelation to, to reveal, to lift the veil off. Notice what it says. And he will destroy on his mountain in the face of the covering, cast over the people, the veil that is spread over all the nations. Go with me to Second Corinthians, please. This is a little different vein, just for a few moments, but I want you to see something. Second Corinthians and chapter 3. Let us read, if you will, from verse 12. I want you to note the word here. Seeing that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face. Moses coming out from the presence of the Lord, and the skin of his face shone, and he veiled his face. Put a, a veil on his face. Not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which, was, which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth, notice, the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. What they're saying is, this veil is the veil of the law of Moses. And this veil is on hearts now. Hearts of men and women, they can't get past the law of it because the law condemns us to death. The law tells us and veils our hearts to say, you're a sinner. The law is a schoolmaster. It's called a piadagogo. Piadagogo was, this, uh, they were hired to bring along their children, these people. They taught them how to walk, how to have etiquette, how to eat properly, how to dress right, how to walk before people, how to conduct themselves. They were called the piadagogo. And the piadagogos would have taken the children all through their early years to learn this. And so Paul takes it and he says, the law was our schoolmaster, our piadagogos. But it was to point us to Christ. In other words, the law says to me, here you do this and you do that. Here you're, you put on those shoes and you wear that with that. And you do that right and you dress right here. And you come along this way and you have to walk a certain way at a certain time every day. And you have to learn this, that and the other. Be so mentally intellect and so on and so on and so on. The pedagogos while the children grew. And they were under a law. The thing about it is, Paul says... The law of God will appear to Gogos or this person, like this person, that comes along and says, you, you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to be this and you've got to be the other. And it condemns us because we fail. We fail miserably at the law of God. So the pedagogos of the law, the servant, the schoolmaster, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us onto Christ. Because when we realize our sin, when we realize our inabilities, our 
incapabilities when we realize that we are nothing and we cannot attain glory, we cannot attain heaven, we can do nothing without him, our weaknesses of our flesh and our mind, our carnality, that we're just rotten, that even in our nature is totally depraved before God. How do we get the glory? How will we ever be saved? And that's the point men and women need to get to if they're going to be saved. I can't save myself. I need to rely on someone else. I need to rely on someone bigger, someone better, and someone greater. And so the law says you're a sinner worthy of damnation and death. But then we're pointed and we see the cross and we see the blood and we see the Lord Jesus Christ and we say it's glory for me, for Christ died for me. Brothers and sisters, can't you see it? Can't you see it? Christ in all the scriptures kept the law we couldn't keep, to live a life we couldn't live and died in our place instead. What a Savior we have. What a glorious Christ. Let me go on for a few moments. Let me go on for a minute. You see, people say, I can't see Jesus in the Old Testament. Well, let me say it in the words of the Puritan Thomas Watson about the Old and the New Testament. He says, the two Testaments are the two lips by which God has spoken to us. The two testaments are the two lips by which God hath spoken to us. In 2 Corinthians 3, let your eye run down, please, to verse 14. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. In other words, he's writing and saying, it's the law we can't keep, and that the ceremonies, yes, the Ten Commandments are still with us today. But the, the ceremonies of it, he says, look, this is no good. And then he says in verse 15, but on this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Notice, when is the veil taken away? When the man and the woman turns to the Lord. They realize everything is in Christ. Now notice this. We're hearing about veiling our faces all over the place, aren't we? Everywhere you go, get your mask on and all that sort of stuff. Fail your face. Church, fail your face. And outside of church and the shops and blah, blah, blah. Sure, fail your face. Listen to what he says. Verse 16. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, Moses veiled his face coming from the Lord, not going into his presence. I know there's going to be a lot of hassle for me for saying that, but that's just the truth. And that's the truth. So I finish with one point. Give me a few minutes. I have all those points we mentioned. I'll see how we get on. Maybe next week, part two. I don't know. We'll see. Notice Revelation chapter 1, 
please, in verse 2. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 2. We bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Here is the testimony of Jesus Christ. This really spoke to me when I was reading it, refreshing myself in it as I wrote this down. The word testimony here is the word martyria. Martyria. It's where we get our word martyr from. A martyr. A martyr, as we know, is someone who is killed for their religious beliefs. But it means also so much more than someone being killed for their faith or their religious beliefs. Martyria was also known as the office committed to the prophets of testifying concerning future events, bringing words of judgment to Israel for their sin and idolatry, and also to point men and women to the Lord and the coming redemption in Christ. It means to witness, to testify, and to give evidence. To witness, to testify, and to give evidence. So notice this. In Revelation 1 and 2, it says the testimony of Jesus Christ, the martyria, the witness, the testimony, the evidence of Jesus Christ from John through the Spirit. From John through the Spirit. For example, so the prophets went, and many were martyred to death. But the prophets, they were commissioned to be committed to the calling of calling out the sinful government and their nation at the time. Also, as I mentioned earlier, there was the ordination of the Holy Spirit in the upper room upon the 120 when those cloven tongues of fire came upon them. And then through Acts, it says in Acts 2 and verse 11 that they witnessed or they spoke of or they spoke with tongues and they preached or prophesied the wonderful works of God. In other words, they were witnessing martyria they became. They were witnessing, they were testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the same oratory of the apostles. We're told in chapter 4 of the book of Acts in verse 1, there were the people and the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Verse 2, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The idea here is they were being martyria. That everywhere they went, they witnessed Jesus. They preached Christ unto them. Everyone, to everything, everywhere, they kept on testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ. I take note and stay with me. In Revelation 19, at the end of verse 10, it says this. It speaks of the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And the spirit of prophecy comes on John in Revelation chapter 1 to give him the prophecy of the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So from verse 1, and then he says, these things will happen from here onwards. That's what we read in our reading. John was to prophesy to be a martyria, 
a martyr to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Take note. Through the years, the apostles and the prophets, the pastors and the preachers, the disciples and faithful believers in Christ have witnessed, have testified, and have even died for the cause of Christ, for the cross of Christ, for the crown and the covenant of our Lord Jesus Christ. Note, note, they had a life of dying to self. A life of dying to self. That was their martyria. They lived, but they were dead and alive unto Christ. How many martyrs are we speaking of tonight in this place? How many have died to self to live unto Christ? How many have given their life and their loves and their luxuries that they may live unto Christ? Half can't even turn off their TV to go and read a chapter of the Word of God. Many can't even get themselves from the comfort of the sofa to come out to the house of God to worship Him. How many martyria are here? How many martyrs, the living dead, who are alive in Christ? I wonder how many of us are alive in Christ tonight and dead to self. There are those who did give their lives. Many gave their lives for the witness of Christ. Notice the witness of Christ was in them. Was in them. Why? Why die to self if Christ is not sufficient? Is Christ sufficient? Brother, is he? Brother, is he? Is Christ sufficient for you? Is he, brother? Sister, is Christ sufficient for you? Why die in death if Christ be not risen? Why witness if Christ is not alive? Why walk this walk and walk this walk of faith with him? Are we living in vain? Is this what it is? Are we just fooling ourselves? Is it just a matter of fact that we, we had some sort of experience that was maybe a bit of religion and emotionalism and we have clung to something like a broken crutch? Is that what many have? Is that what you have? Because if it is, you're not saved. If it is, you're not saved. Why give evidence of this wonderful Savior whom the world detests and despises? Why preach from the pulpit? Why go serve him if all of this is just vain? If that's all you have. Here's what I've written. Why in big, big letters? Because the saved sinner cannot help themselves but be a martyria for Christ. If you've been truly 
born again of the Spirit and washed in the blood of the Lamb. If you've had that Christ encounter experience where you have repented of your sins and you've been to the cross and there you've seen the Lamb of God bleeding and dying in your place, uh, bearing away your sin for you, shedding his blood that you might be forgiven and washed and purified and cleansed. And there you've repented and there you've been forgiven and there the Spirit of God has entered into you and claimed you and said, Mine! Then you, brother, and you, sister, deep inside of you, cannot help yourself but be a martyria, either the living for Christ and dead to self, or you're willing to give up your life no matter the cost. Which are you tonight? Are you any? In 1 John 5 and 10, listen to what John writes. He that believeth on the Son of God. Notice. He that believeth on the Son of God hath this witness in himself. He that believeth on the Son of God hath, present tense, this witness in himself. Ken, why would you preach? And people watching online, you get called all the names of the day. You get all the hustle and all the emails and all of that, even people in the street. Why would you preach? And would it not be easier to just take the back seat? Yes, it would. But look, when I got saved, I had nothing. I came with nothing. I could give nothing. And he gave me everything, brothers and sisters. And he gave you everything. Why do we go on? Why do we serve? Why are we faithful? Why are we here tonight when we could be out sunning ourselves or doing what we want? Do you know why you're here? Because he or she that believeth on the Son of God hath this witness in himself. In yourself. I can't help myself because Christ owns me and I belong to him. The old Puritan said, since he hath looked upon me, my heart is not mine own, for he hath run away to heaven with it. Christ ran away with my heart when he saved me. Christ ran away with my heart, and I've always been said, Lord, I came with nothing, bound for hell on the broad road to destruction. But you came to me when I couldn't come to you. And there you lifted me out of the mire from the dunghill. You took me from the mire and you put me in the choir. You took me from the guttermost and you saved me to the uttermost. Are you saved? Are you Christ? He came to me. He came to me when I couldn't come to where he was. He came to me. That's why he died on Calvary when I couldn't come to where 
He came to me. Who did he come to to rescue? Come on, who did he come to, brother? Did he come to you? Let us see you. When you stand up a minute then, let's stand up to the glory of God. He came to me. He among 10,000, any 10,000 and every 10,000, Christ stands head and shoulders and more above each and every one of them. First John 5, 11, John writes, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. See the word in John 5 and 10, he that believeth on the Son hath this witness in himself. Do you know what the word is there? He that believeth on the Son of God hath this witness in himself. The word is martyria. Martyria. A witness that you're saved within yourself. And in 1 John 5 and 11, and this is the record God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The word record is the same as witness, is the same of revelation, or pardon me, is the same of, of Revelation 1 and verse 2, the testimony of Jesus. Do you know what it is? Martyria. 
God has given us a, a martyr spirit. The church has lost the martyr spirit here. The martyr spirit where it's all for Christ. The martyr spirit, the martyria, the witness and the testimony, the record in us that's greater than him outside in the world. Much of the church has fell into the Laodicean lackadaisy lukewarmness of, ah, well, we'll just not rock the boat. Brothers and sisters, see, when I hear that, I want to overturn their boat. I feel like overturning their boat. So this is where I close. Thank you. This book, the Word of God, is not an antiquated book. It's not an archaic story. It is most certainly isn't a faith, a, isn't a faith or a belief. A true believer can abjure. Abjure really means recant from. See if you're really. I, I know there's people falling away and they've went cold. And, listen, and they're believers. They're true believers. They've went cold. They've fallen away. Listen. You can't truly abjure from the faith that's in Christ. You can't truly recant it and say, I don't believe it, or else you were never his in the first place. Because there's a witness in you. And you're in the world, and you're living like the world, and you're drinking the drink of the world. used to call it the devil's vomit. I still believe it's the devil's vomit. I still believe in closing the pubs and never opening them again. I still believe it. Many Christians don't. They want to go and sit on it. Shut them down, Lord. See, when I get saved, God saved me from the pubs and from the clubs and from the drink and from the drugs when I got saved. I wasn't saved as it were. I'll save you in it to keep on doing it. No, he saved me from it. A true believer cannot abjure. Recant and say they're a real believer and they've just fell away. They never knew him but the witness of the martyria. There's men and women went to their deaths in their millions because they wouldn't recant First of all, to the pagan Roman Empire, and then to the papal Roman Empire. They wouldn't recant. And they said, it's Christ for me. Friend, if you're in the world, you'll never be happy there. So the testimony of Jesus Christ is this, that Jesus only, solely, and uniquely saves. I hear that they're trying to say that it's hate speech to say Jesus is the only way to the Father, the only way for salvation, and the only way to heaven. That it's hate speech. Well, if it is, I'm going to say Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only way to heaven and Jesus is the only way of salvation.
Alexander Gross, no Puritan wrote, once wrote, when Christ reveals himself, there is satisfaction in the slenderest portion. Without Christ, there is emptiness in the greatest fullness. The man and the woman who knows not Christ are empty, trying to fill themselves with the wastes of the world with the husks of the swine that we heard about this morning, the swill of the swine of the world. And that's why we sung, now none but Christ can say. I didn't know, by the way, Carlin, you were picking that when I was writing this. You didn't know I was writing this. Now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy. Lord Jesus. Where? Lord Jesus found in thee. May God bless his word this evening. I don't know whether I'll do part two next week or not. I've enough there to do it. But of other things I'm thinking of. But the Lord richly, abundantly bless us all this evening. Team, would you come up?